Why do leaders shy away from humor? Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn Gregory, and you're on Gut Plus Science, a mentoring platform for people-first leaders of all levels. Here, we talk to exceptional leaders who prioritize culture, get fired up about employee engagement, and are excited to share ideas and tools for bettering employee experience to help others. Thank you for joining us to invest in being a better leader. Now, let's get to it. Okay, this episode will be fun and most likely humorous. I have Mike Kundal, founder and CEO of Mirth Management, joining us today to share something he's so passionate about, humor and humor at work. Why is it that we shy away from humor as leaders? Mike, welcome to Gut Plus Science. I love this because it's such a unique episode. And I really, after us talking and having our prep call for it, I'm like, this is such a powerful addition to your toolbox, if you will, as leaders. So I would love if you'll help us kick this off by doing a little storytelling. So Mike, share a workplace or a leader to illustrate what humor done well looks like. And then also we're going to talk about the flip side just so we can get a picture of what this looks like done well at work and not. I guess the leader that I would most likely steer people towards, the one that I would suggest people look at, is one of the original founders of Southwest Airlines, Herb Kelleher. He was well known for using humor. There's this one quote that's attributed to him. I'm going to paraphrase. He said, here at Southwest, we're really looking to hire good people because we can train good people to do the things that we want them to do. We're not necessarily looking for someone with only a skill set. We want a good person who we can augment with a skill set. And that gives you a sense of what he was looking at specifically when he hired for his company. He wanted to staff it with good people. And he was well known for using humor in his interactions with his staff, with the people he worked with, and he encouraged it in Southwest. So when Southwest first started up, they were kind of this upstart, small airline company that had funny flight attendants that had funny people all over. And it became a signature of theirs, so much so that at some point, Herb decided to use the phrase just plain smart, P-L-A-N-E, as a, something to talk about with Southwest. But there was another company that was using plain smart in the same sort of way. And what happened was, is there was going to be some legal action. But Herb settled it hilariously with an arm wrestling match that he lost to the owner of the other company. And his his penance for losing, as it were, was to admit that the other company had had this phrase first and to give $5,000 in charity to whatever the company that he lost to that person, what they wanted. And it was just fantastic because he took what was essentially a legal action and turned it into kind of this playful, fun little thing. And that really kind of encapsulates between that action and his statement, what he was focused on and how he as a leader really wanted to connect with people. And he used one of the best and easiest ways we can have to connect with folks is laughing and sharing humor. So he is someone that I really encourage people to look at and study to understand the importance and power of humor, not just as something that makes your brand distinct, but as something that makes you an effective and engaging leader. And I think all of us can share an experience about being on Southwest. If you've ever flown Southwest, 
I'm sure you've had something that was like either a crazy funny experience from the the flight attendant, you know, them just hopping on and telling a joke versus like, get your seatbelts ready, right? They just do something very different and innovative or just the way that they come by and do funny things at your row, like asking you your drinks. It's just, there is humor all throughout Southwest, whether it's in a huge way, which I can remember times where the whole plane was laughing or it was just this like little experience of just me one-on-one with that flight attendant but it just goes to show the ripple effect of a leader at the top and how that just ripple effects down and really impacts culture. And since we're on airlines, we might as well talk about the flip side. We've all been on different airline brands where it's like quiet as a mouse, pin drop. Gosh, God forbid that you put your bag in the thing wrong. But just that vibe that comes across, that very serious vibe on the flip side. Any, any comments there? So I don't want to call any one bad leader out or this sort of thing because you know, that would just feel like this person's going to find something in their DMs and they'll be like, who's this guy? I think one of the things that we can all notice and remember is when we've been at work and it was clear that laughter and humor just wasn't tolerated, it wasn't allowed, and how tight and how un, not just unhappy, unenjoyable that space was. And people, you know, they can always talk about a place where they enjoyed working and how there was laughter and humor present. And when there wasn't, or when it was discouraged, how much they just didn't want to go back to that job, how much they tried to get out early or not finish. We've all been on airlines where people are tired or they're, they're not engaged as well as they should be, or they're just kind of running through the motions. And one of the things that's great is when that flight attendant or when that person who works at the front desk or is taking your tickets kind of injects humor into that space, they're reaching out to you as an individual, not as a customer. Because whether you laugh or not really doesn't make your payment for their services go up. It makes you appreciate their services because they reach out to you. And it's a sort of kindness. It's a kindness of human interaction. And when that is kind of kept away, if if leaders shy away from this sort of thing, or if it's not appreciated, or more importantly, like you said, it kind of cascades down where it's not encouraged, you're going to start to feel that across the culture. In this example, we're talking about the airlines. It's not only touching the employee experience, but also the customer experience. And I think it's important to say, like, you know, when employees are uplifted and lighter, the customer experience is getting that ripple effect as well with employees, you know, which this show is really designed to impact the employee experience and help people experience meaningful work and have engagement in that work that they're doing. And when someone, you know, is working 30, 40, 50, 60 hours and it's just, you know, we are here to get this job done. I mean, come on, like this is our life. The majority of our waking hours are at work. Why would we not want to have fun as well? And humor is a great way to do that. So Mike, let's talk about humor at work myths and things that some are thinking that we just might want to challenge today. Like if you're humorous, you're not serious. Like what are some of these things that are myths that you come up against? I've actually taken that kind of that myth of humor and laughter are not serious and they're not work because when I go and talk to people about what I do and how I consult and I go to companies and talk about the power of humor to improve engagement and efficiency and resilience, a lot of people like you will say, oh, that's really cool. That's so unique. It's, it's so interesting. We need more humor. You're right. That's really cool. And I'll look at them and I'll say, cool enough to hire me? And they'll just, they'll just freeze. Because I know what's going on in the back of their head is this, how do I go to my boss and tell them I'm going to bring someone in not to talk about leadership or team building, but he's going to talk about humor and making it lighter at work and how to use jokes better. And I I don't see the 
A to B to bottom line C sort of outcome. And it's because we have this deep rooted suspicion, this kind of bad assumption that we all know is false. If we think about it for more than five seconds, that humor and seriousness and laughter and work are the opposites. And if you're working to use your example in that 30, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, if you're really putting in time, if you are really working hard, those moments when you have breaks of levity, when you have, when you share laughter with the people who are on those front lines with you about the difficulties that you face, those are the things that more often than not reinvigorate you quickly, effectively, and in ways much more enjoyable than any other. Don't get me a pizza party. Let me sit with my, my colleagues and laugh a little bit, or you know, we can share a coffee and just kind of decompress for a few minutes. And I call it kind of the asymmetry of what humor needs. You just need a little joke, a little bit of laughter, a spot of levity here and there, and the whole feeling changes in your workspace. Because we're trained to think that we're always going for this next thing, that the bottom line that we've got to do this and shave off a percent here, or we're counting those beans as it were, we tend to think of anything that deviates from that as being a negative influence. And it's just, it's bad. When I'm at work and I'm working with someone that I enjoy working with, that I'm laughing with, that I can joke with, I'm better at my job. You are better at your job. It becomes enjoyable. And as the research has shown, we don't feel the pain as much. We don't stress as much. We're much more resilient. So because we have this bad view, we tend to shy away from it. I liken it to kind of a deforestation of the workspace. We cut all this stuff away and we have a less healthy work ecosystem when we cut away these things that we don't immediately see as leading to this, whatever the outcome is or whatever the 10% or whatever the number is, right? Because it's hard to calculate this except when it's missing. We see it and we feel it gone and we don't like it. I think it's always good to remember that people remember most how we make them feel and who doesn't want to laugh or feel lighter? Who doesn't? And so that's just something to note as we remember how it makes us feel. And it's like, sometimes, you know, that saying like, I can't put my finger on it, but it's like, I want the optimistic side of, I can't put my finger on it, but man, it's so fun and awesome here versus I can't put my finger on it, but something's wrong, you know? So creating this experience where people have this feeling of being there that you just want more because the feeling is good. So just something to note, but on our journey to incorporate or better leverage humor, share what not to do. And bonus, if you have a funny story about a leader who took a, like a stab at this and fell flat, just so we can laugh for a minute. So one of the things that I always encourage people to avoid is making fun of and using sarcasm as a kind of cover for some sort of anger or aggression. If you're making fun of in that kind of ridiculing way, if you are using your sarcasm to cover over something you're angry about, it's only going to make things a little bit worse, okay? Because you're going to think that you're coming off as fun or funny and people were really good at picking up when people are being sarcastic and rude. And that's not what we want, especially when we're trying to encourage humor. And this isn't to say that we don't tease one another. We do. We tease only the people that we like, right? You tease your friends. You tease your coworkers. You're not going to tease me just yet because we're neither friends nor coworkers at this moment. But at a certain point of hanging out long enough, we might tease. So it's important to know the difference and really important that you know why you're doing what you're doing. If you're just trying to, if you're just simply using humor, to try and make people laugh and get things done, well, there's your first misstep. It's that boss who just comes in and said, oh, I just read this article about 
you know, starting my meetings with two minutes of canned humor. So I'm going to press the laugh track and say, okay, everyone, let's start with some jokes. <laughs> and everyone's looking at the boss like, what do you mean? I don't, because they're not ready for it. It's like pouring water on a dry sponge. It's just going to run off. It's going to be cringy and people are going to be uncomfortable. So the thing that you should do is start adding levity at a very kind of low level. Okay. So maybe add some fun socks and then invite people to look at your new fun socks, right? What can you do to share memes that are going to be fun and enjoyable? Have a meme contest about what's going on in your particular work, right? What sort of memes going to apply? They're easy to make. People love to share them. And it's a fairly low level, low stakes way to, to get involved. But one of the things that you really want to do is find ways to commiserate with people. So a basic one that I talk about, and I got this from a student years ago, he walked into class and the weather was pretty hot out that day. And he said, this weather is just disrespectful. <laughs> and I remember thinking that is perfect. That is just such a great way to talk about how hot it was. Well, there's something that we all share. We all experience the weather and it's, it's a fun way to talk about it. And that's the way to get humor in there easily is to start talking in fun ways about things we experience on an everyday. So a personal story about using humor. And here's one that, that actually works. I teach a historically black college or university called North Carolina A&T State University in North Carolina. And I'm a white guy and I teach students who are mostly of color and my colleagues are mostly of color. And at some point, the question of what it's like for me here is going to come up in some way, shape or form. And I know when my students are going to ask because I can feel it. So instead of letting them ask me or then having them kind of broach the topic, which can be difficult because I'm their teacher and I, I hold a level of authority in the classroom. I just look at them and I say, okay, let's talk about the fact that I'm melanin challenged. And right there, just that little clever way, in my opinion, of saying that I'm white drops the temperature in the room and we can have a discussion. Okay. But you can also imagine someone, you know, I don't do this right out of the gate. This is something I do only after a couple of weeks. So that sponge analogy is kind of a good one. If you're going to try and start introducing humor and you don't want it to fall flat or go poorly, you want to start easy in things that most people share that are very low stakes, memes, joke about the weather, joke about potholes, and stay in that area. And in my book, I, I have a whole chapter devoted to just that idea, but there's how you're going to be able to do it. And what I say is, you know, if you sow the seeds of levity, laughter is going to follow. You're not going to get jokes the first day. You're going to get those a couple of weeks in, but you have to show as the boss, as Kelleher did, that humor and laughter are things that we encourage, not just tolerate, that we encourage, that we expect them to be there. So good. Okay. And to tie into like taking a stab at it and falling flat and connecting to, you know, there's got to be a why behind it. So for example, if a leader who hardly ever responds to email usually is like a one-liner, maybe 10 words if you get an email from them, but then three times a week, all of a sudden, without any context, you start getting like joke emails and meme emails. It's like, wait, what? And people are more confused than anything. And so I'm curious, just kind of using that example, that's probably not the best practice there. Mike, how do you feel about a leader sharing with their people, I'm wanting to work on myself and, and bring humor, like stating that this is something that they're working on to tee it up. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I used to do a lot of dancing and sometimes, you know, we'd call those verbal leads. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do because I'm going to mess it up if I try it this other way. So I'm just going to tell you. And 
what you said there is actually really quite nice because if the leader comes out and says, I want to try and do this thing as a form of changing how I lead, form of self-improvement, it, it humanizes the leader in a way that nothing else can. And you're inviting the employees to go on this journey with you. Because probably what you're thinking of at that point is that there's this kind of stratified difference between you and the employees. And when you invite them into that space with you, you lower that hierarchy or you remove some of that hierarchy. And again, you're treating them as people. And probably the best thing for them to do is share what they find funny. Again, within certain parameters, because you're inviting them to see you as not just the boss, but as the boss who, who enjoys, I don't know, the Three Stooges or who enjoys goofy memes, right? Yes, don't send three emails if you're the person who responds with one line. Don't spend three emails in the day. But as a professor, I put a meme in my syllabus. So before they've even met me, they see the meme. And, and so they're going to be slightly confused, but they're going to be thinking, why is this person using a meme? And then when I get into class, I explain it and it starts to create that atmosphere where I'm going to play, I'm going to use humor, and it's all in the service of getting us to work better together as teacher and student, as leader and employee. Yeah. And I think that there's something there to be said about consistency as well. I remember years ago when I changed churches, the pastor would always start the service when he would walk up with a joke. And I, it was so different than like the experience that I'd had my whole life in like the Catholic church. And I always thought, huh? But then, you know, probably four or five times of being there, I was like, oh, I wonder what the joke is. But the consistency was what built that I don't know, my buy-in, I guess, which was was pretty powerful. So I'd love, Mike, if you want to walk us into what it looks like to prioritize leading with humor. So for a leader that's kind of built the foundation, why we're doing this, maybe shared, here's what's to come with me working on myself, or maybe some people are already using humor and they're trying to just sharpen that to create more of a lighter, playful experience for people. What does like prioritizing humor look like or kind of creating a framework for leading humor? So what someone's going to do is one of the things I talk about in my book and one of the things I'm really, I think is so helpful when it comes to humor is that one of the things we want leaders to be is someone who's smart, who's agile, who can change and flow. Well, humor is about creativity. When you find something funny or you notice something that causes other people to laugh, it tends to be something where you've put two ideas creatively together. So to go back, the melanin challenge. My being a white person isn't the fact that I'm challenged in melanin content. That's just a funny little way to talk about the same sort of thing. But what it allows you to do is start to see the world in different ways. And you can start to uncover humor when it wasn't there or where other people might not see it. And when you do that, you invite them to see the world as you see it, right? You invite them to share that experience with you and you're showing them something that you find funny. These are all ways to humanize, to reconnect, to, to improve the social bondedness of the group or the people or the individuals, however you're using it in that way. Again, start small. One insurance company was really good about using puns, even bad ones at the end of every email that they sent out. And after a while, kind of like your example with the Catholic Church, you started looking forward to the jokes that the pastor gave. Well, people started looking forward to the puns at the end of the emails, and so much so that when it was missed one time, people were like, where's our pun? We won't, okay, hey, come on, where's our pun? They began to expect it. So you can set it up in these little ways, and then even someone who's confused 
is going to look around going, why is this person using humor? And they're just going to be confused. But if you continue with it, if you stick with it, they're eventually going to come to accept it. And as short as five visits, five Sundays, the humor is now part and parcel of their expectations. And that's where you start to build that culture of using humor. The other thing that you want to do to do this is to make sure that say in meetings or in something that you're not just launching into the agenda. If everyone sits down or when you sit down and everyone comes to order, as it were, you're just launching into the agenda. What you're doing is you're saying the only thing that's important here is the agenda and how you all are going to relate to this agenda. And remember, you've got a bunch of people who are working for you. So talk to them. One of the nice things about humor is when I invite you to laugh with me, this has really nothing to do with the agenda, but it shows you that I value you enough to reach out in that way. That is, I want to share this with you. Hey, when we share our jokes with our friends, we're sharing them with them because they're our friends. So you're building this level of kind of intimacy. It's it's not a high level of intimate intimacy, but it's enough to make that person, like you said, how does this person make me feel? When I'm with them, there's always room for a smile. That makes me feel good. I want to hang out with them. So if you start in these kind of little ways, you're going to create this culture of humor, okay? And never forget that sometimes really unexpected humor works, right? You're just going to kind of come out of the blue with some little quip, but you're going to have to somehow telegraph it, right? So if you're in a meeting, you have to know how to use your body language. I wouldn't go for deadpan. Go for something that lets the people know from your voice changing or from your body language that what happened there was humor. And then give the audience time to digest it. Because if you just run it through, it's what comedians call running over your joke, the audience can't catch up. And then they're now moving to the next thing. And they're still thinking, what just happened back here? I can't worry about that. I have to worry about this next thing. So there's an element of slowness, of measuredness. And if you do that as a leader, you're going to start to pay attention to your audience more, which is going to make you a more effective communicator. So I think, you know, a couple of things that you and I talked about before that I centered in was humor doesn't have to be overthought. We're trying to figure out how is this a natural extension of us as individuals and being authentic in it and to get rid of the workplaces where we're serious. People want to have levity and fun and you want to create experiences where people want to be. And that's so much about the feeling. So I love that. I'm curious your thought on leaders embracing poking fun of themselves and how to do that well. So self-deprecatory humor, I am a huge fan of. I use it all the time. So my background, I'm a philosophy professor. So all through college and in through grad school, I was like, I always got the joke. So what are you going to say? Do you want fries with that? And now I just kind of run with it. It's in my book. I said, I finally did something. My parents are so proud of me. I wrote a book. I didn't just do philosophy. And so I play around with the whole philosophy doesn't do anything. It doesn't put much in the world, all this sort of thing that you hear. And so, yeah, I play with it. I'll joke about, did you have that philosophy class? in college. And then I say, I usually get two responses and most of them are, yeah, I had that philosophy class that kind of negative. was like, what me wasn't my class, but it warms you up because one of the things that self-deprecatory humor does is it shows that you are willing to recognize your own humanity, your own foibles. And that's really important in help humanizing you to the people that work with you, that work for you. If you are only ever seen as the person who comes in and lays down that agenda and gets right at that agenda, no one's going to know how to deal with you in any sort of personal way. And, and at some point in some meeting somewhere, there will be downtime. And if they don't know you beyond the agenda or the work, there's going to be that kind of awkward, 
Okay, so I can't get out of here fast enough. Mike, this has been awesome. Really have enjoyed it. We're going to take a break, hear from our sponsor message today, and then we'll travel over into our lightning round where we get to learn about some of the behind the scenes with you and your personal life. So we'll be right back. If you're leading with a people-first mindset, which most likely you are because you're listening to Gut Plus Science, join People Forward Network, the largest community of humans on a shared mission to lead meaningful work. You can find us at peopleforwardnetwork.com or follow People Forward Network on LinkedIn. All right, it's Nikki. We're back on Gut Plus Science with Mike Kundal. We've been talking all about humor. And I'm inspired. I wrote down a few things for myself to try. I feel like I'm one of those people that does tend to poke fun of myself regularly to build more of a human workplace, but I've got some new ideas. So thank you so much. And Mike, I'll be following up with you on those. I hope everybody has had some great new ideas on how to either start bringing humor in or advance that to just build a lighter place to work, more fun place. So let's dive into our lightning round today. Mike, we always ask every single guest and have for five years, what is your favorite book of all time or a favorite recent read that you'd like to recommend to our leader listener audience? When I came and started doing this work with mirth management and coming up with the idea of using humor in the workplace, I was reading all this, all these leadership books. I'm very near a company called Center for Creative Leadership. And I started to notice that in almost all of the books, in all of those lists that you can find, the top 10, 15, 20, I think there's a list out there on the web that's 130 qualities of a leader. I just noticed that humor and laughter were just not among them in most of those lists. And, and so I've been looking for that book to, that talks about leadership in this way that's important and helpful, but doesn't make it one of the things that everyone else is talking about or has led us into these high levels of disengagement that we have seen across the workforce for years. And I, I'm hoping, you know, if I'm just going to, shamelessly self-promote. Maybe I wrote the book in my humor hack book that's out there. I don't know. I'll let, you know, if there's a bump in sales, maybe we can say he wrote some of it, but that's what I'm looking for. Leadership that looks not just at the task or the goal, but the people who work with you to achieve that goal and how we can do that in a better way. Yeah, absolutely. So two things on that. One is, I think it's awesome to say, hey, if I wrote a book and I feel like, you know, I took all this time and put everything into it, like all of my favorite pieces of learning, that just might be the favorite book and that's okay. The other side is we'll put a challenge out to our listeners. If you have picked up a book that is in this vein of like how to bring humor into the workplace and inspire that and lead that, give us a shout out. You can direct message on LinkedIn, Mike or myself. We'd love to know what that is and add that to our list just, you know, since there's not a lot out there. All right. So Mike, a couple fun questions. What are you celebrating this week? I'm actually celebrating the fact that I was promoted to full professor at my university. That's kind of the last step for me, you know, kind of in, I'll keep publishing all this sort of thing, but that's the highest you can go as a professor. And it was, it's been really fun the last five years of doing research and, and reorienting and writing the book and doing what I've been doing with humor and leadership has really shown me something that I hadn't noticed before. That's my avocation now is to kind of help get this word out there so people can get more humor into their spaces. I love that. Congratulations. Yay. Thank you. Okay. Share something that always makes you smile. Listening to my boys bicker and fight with one another. They're teenagers and older, and it is so funny to hear them just go at one another in this kind of 
rough and tumble way that sometimes I have to step in, but more often than not, it's just downright hilarious to hear them go at one another. I can feel that as we've got four, four boys around and it's just these constant jokes and cuts. And, I mean, the humor is strong, right? So I see yeah. where you're coming from with like what always makes you smile. It's really on brand. So that's cool. And Mike, what is the best way for our listeners to connect with you after the episode today? They can find me on LinkedIn. They can visit my website, www.mirthmanagement.co. They can find, you know, Mirth Management on Facebook if they're into it. And so email or messages through there are going to be the best ways to get a hold of me. All right, here's my truth you can act on from Mike Kundal. Such a great conversation about how to lead and incorporate humor well. Number one, first up, make sure you know why you're doing what you're doing with humor. Like what's the core? What's the purpose? As we say on so many of these episodes, you got to start with why. Number two, humor has to be authentic. So consider telling your people how you're changing the way that you're leading to incorporate humor and why to tee it up. That's just one idea, but humor has to be authentic. Number three, consistency with humor can really drive engagement. Consider your consistency efforts like, you know, a certain meme theme because you love Star Wars. So it's always Star Wars things or you open a meeting with a joke each time. Like having those consistency efforts can be really powerful. And we heard that with Mike today. Number four, self-deprecatory humor can be a great technique for humanizing relationships but it also comes with some warning labels, right? Like it really is about leading into the number five here. Remember, context is core to all of this. So what type of relationship you have with your audience or those you're around is highly significant to how you apply humor. So with that, I hope this was helpful. I hope we all together get inspired to build more human workplaces that are lighter and more fun. We just left the world a little bit better. Now, go do something with it.